it's good to be here. We just ran to the finish line and here we are. But it's really, it really is a good day to be here with Greg Oliar, who's so nice today to have uh, written and, uh, and had me on your podcast. That was really good and, and I enjoyed being on there. So thanks very much, Greg, for having me on Prevail. Thank you for, for joining me, Zev. And I hope that anybody that, you know, who hasn't listened to the interview yet, if you're watching this and you want to know, who is this Zev Shalev guy? That's, this is going to answer all your questions. Like it really will. It's, a, it's one hour and 20 minutes long. So Zev was super <laughs> candid and uh, yeah. And, and we forgot to, I was like, we never broke for the commercial. We didn't do anything that we're supposed to do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, but it's, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm honored that you shared your story with me. You know, I think it was only because it was you that I was felt comfortable enough to just, just yeah, let you ask anything and speak about everything, anything. And uh, you're a good interviewer, man. You wouldn't even let me get away with stuff. You were like, oh, no, go back to that. I want you to answer that. <laughs> okay. And Alison Green is here, who's new to the show, but not too new to the uh, Twitter audience that uh, follows the show. Hi, Alison. How are you? I'm good, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's great really to have you here. And you've got your Mitch McConnell investigation. And who doesn't love to hate Mitch? Everyone loves to hate him. Mitch, fantastic. please. You know, got, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Mitch, and please. A, and you've got a fantastic investigation <clears throat> you've been doing for over a year now, almost a year now. Well, six months. Well, months. since November, since the election. Yeah. It kicked off election night, actually. <laughs> and you're looking into how Mitch McConnell possibly got the votes that he did. And it leads you to many questions around the elections in various GOP counties and districts, and we'll go into some of that a little later on in the show. And LB is traveling today, which is why she's not here. She was with Greg last week on the show when they didn't invite me to their uh, party, which is fine, <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> not that I harbor a grudge, but you know, it's Greg, tell me what I missed. Give me a, a little bit of uh, a little bit I've, of been sworn, I've been sworn to secrecy, as you know. Oh, come I can't, down. I can't disclose <laughs> I, I can say we did not know whether or not you knew because she did tell you on a voice message. She oh. slipped and left you a message that said that, you know, I forget what she said because I wasn't the one leaving the message. But had you listened to the message, you would have known, but you did not. You just saw that she called and called yeah. her back. So we weren't sure when we were doing it whether you knew or not. I did not yeah. know, and it was really funny. And I was like, I knew you were in a different spot because that was not your normal bookshelf. And then I, <laughs> and there was just something odd about the whole demeanor at the top of the show. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with it. But then it was good. good. You punked me, I guess. It's a punk, which is close to a punk, um, but it was well, fun. You, were, you wouldn't be able to come anyway because you're in Canada. You wouldn't be able to get there, right? Isn't well, that I mean, it's so close. It's so close, but I don't think- I know. Comes. Germany I... and West Germany were close, too. You can just waltz from one to the other. Although now Canada happens to have <laughs> the most- Let's talk about walls. <laughs> yeah, the most vaccinated- Take vaccin down the walls. <laughs> <laughs> Canada is the most vaccinated people in, in the most vaccinated country in the world now, which is kind of strange because two months ago, Ooh. it was the least vaccinated. So, and then America's close behind there. So we're almost in this vaccinated zone where we can all be mingling again, which I'm looking forward to. Big news this week, lots of really big news. And I thought the Geneva conference was really fascinating and interesting and remarkable because it was a huge success in my opinion. I don't know what was wrong with the TV people at the time. They kept saying, and they kept looking for all these negative things to talk about it. I was like, Putin looks like he's shaking, like he just, he's not his usual confidence himself. He's got the he entire world media. He looked like he was in the media. dentist chair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the entire world media is asking him all these tough questions, and he never has to face all these tough questions. I mean, yes, he's on the world stage, but he's on the world stage asking questions about whether he killed all these opposition leaders and whether Navalny's going to die. I mean, it's not a place you want to be. Greg, I know you have a lot of thoughts on, on, on what happened, so let's hear from you. Well, um, 
I've been thinking about it. I, re- I talked about it a little bit on the podcast, on my podcast this morning, which I recorded the intro on Wednesday. And I've been kind of reading what other people have thought and just looking at kind of the big picture. And you have, I, I, I think the answer, we don't really know yet what's going to happen. And Biden said that. He said, we'll know in six months. And I think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of the people, the, the Russian nationals, people who are from Russia who grew up there or are familiar with the regime, didn't want the meeting to happen at all. I totally get that. Kasparov was opposed to it. Um, I'm surprised Marina, by that. Our, our friend was opposed to it because any kind of the fact that they're having a meeting normalizes having meetings with brutal dictators. So there's media considerations or this or that. And I understand it. I understand how you're looking at this guy and you're thinking, how can they meet with this this guy? He's a killer. No, that's what he is. He's a killer. He's a te- mm. he's a terrorist. He got into power and seized power through those apartment bombings in Moscow in 1999. And he's been killing people ever since. That's what this guy is. He's not a nice man at all. So I, I understand that. And I thought about like, okay, what what would be served by Biden just being like, no, fuck you, we're not gonna have that meeting at all. And I think the answer is that Putin would be able to use that to his advantage. If there was an opportunity to meet, he could say, Oh, Biden doesn't want to meet. He's too weak. He's too feeble. Whatever bullshit he would make up, that would be a storyline and I think a narrative that he could push. So mm-hmm. the advantage, I think there's several advantages to meeting. The first worked. Biden, if you follow Julia Davis on, on Twitter, she's wonderful. She watches the Russian news and crazy. reports back to us on, on what's happening. She said they had been heading into the meeting, pushing this narrative of Biden as old, frail, feeble, senile, whatever word you want to use. And after the meeting, that just stopped because he clearly was not that. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he was not that. He simply wasn't. And even they can't lie that much. Like they couldn't cook the editing to make it seem that way, especially because, as Allison pointed out, he looks like he's in the dentist chair right. the whole time. <laughs> Uncomfortable, fidgety, doesn't know what to do. Ooh, Actually, Biden... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, but like Biden actually ushered him in, like the front door mm. when they did the handshake. Biden actually ushered him in, which you know, the old feeble guy sure had control of that meeting. <laughs> that picture—that's a good point you're you're saying. And and this is another one. Look at this photo. It certainly looks like Biden is in charge here, and that Putin is just desperately looking for some attention from the guy. Which, uh, which is exactly yeah. the opposite of Helsinki, because yeah. I mean, one of the things that was so dominant was that Trump was looking adoringly at yeah. Putin, yeah. and now you kind of see Putin kind of going, "Please pay attention to me," looking at at Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really yeah. was a table turner on that in that regard. And there's a few of these photos, but um, Greg, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I know you were saying something. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. I was going to say, I do not know what to do when the <laughs> president is not on the button. It's, so, it's a, you know, it's I a different it's confusing thing. For him. And I think a part, I was just thinking about this just occurred to me now, as you were saying, the Trump, among many other things, is also kind of a star fucker. Like he gets, he likes the idea <laughs> And I think maybe part of Helsinki was just, he was just like, isn't this cool? I'm with this guy, this dictator guy. And Biden just is not playing that I got game. a soccer ball. Yeah. <laughs> he got a soccer <laughs> ball. Right. <laughs> you know? it, Do you remember that? I re- yeah. yeah. Now that you pointed out, I mean, what's, what, <laughs> can you imagine Trump? Let's all pause for a minute and visualize Donald Trump trying to play soccer. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. There's your laugh. Um, <laughs> the optics of this meeting, I think, were bad for Putin. I 
And I think yeah. he knew it. And I think when he went back to Russia, he's been kind of kissing his ass, kissing Biden's ass a little bit in the press, saying he's experienced, he's this, he's everything Trump wasn't, he's a statesman, whatever words he was using, they were not words like feeble and senile anymore. That shit has gone away. And Julia Davis is like, the media there doesn't even know what to do now because he's completely shifted. He's done a 180 about that kind of thing. Even the subtleties of this meeting, when he gave him the aviator glasses, I forget who tweeted this. Those aviator glasses are made at some, I don't know, it's the same base that they're somehow affiliated with like the, the missile launches and stuff like that. Oh, really? That. <laughs> and also, as someone else pointed out, hello, shade. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's very good. And, uh, so even the gift that he gave Putin, I think, was good. And then I'm thinking, OK, what if I'm the president? What would I want to do? And I think the answer is I would want to meet with him because I'm the damn leader of the free world. And this motherfucker is going to listen to me and what I have to say. And I kind of thought in my dream, OK, Biden's going to go in. He's going to read him the, the law. He's going to lay down the law and then he's going to leave. That's what I want to have happen. And I think maybe it. I mean, again, we'll find out, but I think maybe that is what happened because I think so. I think he laid down the law. the lines on some of this stuff, he mm. said, "I have." They talked a lot about cybersecurity. I've given him a list of things not to hit, and I'm sure these things are not. They're not like don't hit the top secret nuclear, but they're like don't hit hospitals, don't yes. hit health systems, things that are really obvious. So what he's doing now, I think, is he's testing him, and I think Putin, as somebody who you know, appeasement doesn't work with him. So if Putin tries to do something, I think Biden is going to respond with the kind of force that will make Putin be like, holy fucking shit. I think this is, I think that the rules are different now. And I think he actually <laughs> set, up the, he set up the stakes really well because he said, he didn't say, I'm, I will do something. He said, how would you feel if we attacked your, your pipeline and absolutely brought down your pipeline through a cyber attack? So he did threaten him, but he did it in yeah. a way that was, he was like, how would that feel, guys, if we took down your main industry? Because that's essentially what they're threatening. And he also said later in the press conference, which backs up something Albia said to us before, he says that the capabilities of America to take uh, any cyber action against Russia are substantial. And he said it in a way that meant really substantial. I mean, the emphasis was that they've got a lot of power there. They can do a lot to Russia. They can probably turn off the lights. And someone must have told Putin that along the way, you know, that he says there was a lot of agreement with Lavrov in particular when Lavrov was in the meeting. And this is a great picture, by the way, of all of them together. And Lavrov was That's nodding. the dentist chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Lavrov was nodding every time the Americans brought up the fact that they could have this capability. So he knows, and he was telling Putin as well, they'll, they can do the damage that they're threatening. So I think that's what happened. I think you're right. He laid down the law and he did it with the whole world at his back. I mean, he went through this series of things in, in, in moves in Europe that was just stunning. I mean, he just, he went into the G7, which was a little fractured, fr frankly. No one's really thinking that America's the same with the G7 isn't the same without America there, especially with Trump at the helm. And suddenly he was able to gather them all up, had the queen show up there, which is great. I mean, if you're looking for moral authority and she was wandering around the G7 meeting, which is, which is unusual. That's not, not normally how it rolls around. And then he goes into NATO and he's even gets him to issue an even stronger uh, message um, about Russia and includes China. So now we've got a real movement I, I, heading into that meeting into Geneva, which is really impressive. And I will say that he didn't knock anybody over on the way yeah. to the cameras either. <laughs> 
He did knock Bibi Netanyahu over. I will say that it's stunning that Bibi Netanyahu is no longer the president, uh, prime minister of Israel. And I think that has a lot to do with, with, with Biden as well. I think they've done some interesting domestic influencing there and probably nudged everybody along to say it's time for Bibi to go. So that also is a big deal for Putin because one of Putin's best friends in the entire planet is Bibi Netanyahu. And now he's friendless. So he doesn't have Trump. He doesn't have Bibi. We haven't heard from uh, Donald Trump since the summit, have we? I haven't seen any reaction from Mar-a-Lago. Have they been? I don't know. Uh, well, uh, first of all, he's not know? at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, yes, yeah, so he's, he's at Bedminster, yeah. Yeah, and I think he's laying low in New Jersey because just in case any governor comes to pick him up. <laughs> 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 it's not a safe place for him It's right so now. true. Just before the, the summit, he was tweeting, sending a message to Putin that he shouldn't make any deals because by August, Trump could be back. In, in the White House. So I haven't heard him say anything since. Maybe he doesn't like uh, Putin praising Biden as much as he did. Um, Maybe Putin told him to shut up. I mean, we, we don't know. <laughs> you know, well, it's it's true. What, yeah. one of the things that Trump said, remember when he was running, he said, I don't know about Putin, but I know that he will respect me. Remember he said that? Yeah. And that clearly is not true. I mean, maybe one respects <laughs> one's the gimp of Pulp Fiction, the, 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 the Zed respect the gimp in Pulp Fiction? Probably not. Probably not. But I think that Putin, at least publicly, does respect Biden. That is one takeaway from this. There's oh, no, absolutely. Based on his comments and his behavior at that meeting, there is a respect there. I think he knows a little bit that he's like, oh shit, I, I, I have to be on my best behavior. And we'll see if he can do it. I don't know. And again, it's not enough. We need this motherfucker out of Crimea. And we really need yeah. NATO, Ukraine to get into NATO to really push back against the imperial designs here. But you know, yeah. it's a good start. It is a good start. I know yeah. a lot of people were against the summit, but I really believe, I think it was in The Godfather where they said, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And the reality is that this whole theory of ignoring him didn't work for past administrations. And the reality is I think that we're in the climate that we're in today, partly because nobody really stood up to the bully in the playground kind of thing. Yeah. And I think Biden needed to, I don't want Biden to do what everybody else did that didn't work. I want him to change it up. Yeah, I think it's a really good point you're making about you can't ignore the bully because the bully actually wants the attention and and you need to be tough with the bully. And, uh, and Biden did both of those things. And you can't just go in there and do resets and let's be friends because the bully doesn't like that. No, no, no. no. It's a and joke. I, yeah. yeah, that's a joke. I mean, Greg actually, I mean, he mentioned his dream, but my dream is a little bit more detailed and it's actually inspired by one of your podcasts, Greg. But okay. you had this great podcast where they talk about like the backroom dealings where it's like, and, and by the way, we don't hear much about Janet Yellen, but my hope is that Biden actually walked in with a, with a briefcase with all of these folders from Janet Yellen that said, by the way, if you continue this, these are the companies we're sanctioning and this right. is the money we're going after mm. kind of thing. Because now, and, and by the way, the media really kind of tricked us into believing that there was some kind of bad move here because there wasn't some magic pill that immediately made everything wonderful between the Russia and the US because you know, they make it sound as though there's one magic pill and this meeting was going to fix everything. That's not the way it works. My hope is that he kind of took some folders out and kind of put them on the table and said, 
this is what will be happening to you. And we saw Putin come out. And I think that's when you saw a little bit more of the respect that you're talking about as well. So I'm really hopeful for what behind what on behind those closed doors. Call it naive, but I don't think that you can. I think the media did us a disservice by kind of spinning no it that it was. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. It's interesting what you're saying. <laughs> because this is the, your touch point, you know. There yeah. is a feeling that the. the Look, he does this thing. Biden does this a lot. He comes in really softly, right? Like even in the election campaign, he just came in and is like bringing in big crowds. He was really soft in his campaign speeches. He didn't do that big a deal at the beginning. People were really questioning whether he had the energy to even run a full campaign, never mind be president. But then in the last mile, he always pulls out the stops and suddenly you know, the real Biden comes out. And I think, it's this, I think it's a stealth move that he does. I think he does it and he just did it on Putin. He seemed weak on the way in, or at least on approaching the big foreign trip. And then when he got to the foreign trip, the full Monty comes out and he does this huge performance and it's, it's impossible. I'm glad That's the full Monty didn't yeah. come out. Yeah, right? it's a terrible <laughs> metaphor. Uh, but there you go. That um, might have made Putin respect him more. We don't know. <laughs> hey, that was one of your commercials or something, Greg, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, not that you should judge foreign policy based on the size of one's um, podium, but I will actually show you two pictures of their podium because it's, there's a stark difference between their podiums. Here's Edward. It's a fold away. He can take it on the plane with him. It's really easy. Uh, in carry-on luggage. And here's Biden's podium by contrast. A little bit different, a little bit different. <laughs> sturdier. Yeah, sturdier and uh, bigger, wider, and also just a better backdrop because backdrops matter. The, the whole staging, I think, was it does really matter. I think these things really matter. The optics of these events ultimately are so important. And Putin in the basement with a wrap over the, what do they call it, the step and repeat that you basically carry in, lug in luggage. And then Putin and then Biden with this enormous setup with two giant American flags on, on either side. It was very impressive. It was well done. The, the White House really won this in, in a huge way. And anyone who says otherwise is just wrong. I mean, there's just no ways you can look at this. Unless right. in six months we were subject to a bunch of cyber attacks that we don't do anything, then they would have been right. But uh, up until now, boy, this was a huge foreign success and it really puts America back on the world stage. I don't know how you convince everybody else about that. I don't know you convinced the whole of uh, the Fox well, viewership about that, but it really was a success. That's what the media kind of missed out on. Why didn't you talk about the fact that there were note takers in the room and nobody had to eat their notes afterwards? Right. Like <laughs> all of the things that right. were like completely different. Why is that not seen as a success? Because to be honest, I think that they played into Putin's hands with how they kind of portrayed it as less successful than it, it was. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was really, the, the media sometimes, I just shake my head a lot of the time. They just make me so annoyed because uh, they're just looking for conflict wherever they can. I actually had a conversation the other day with someone who is a full-on anti-vaxxer, like a full-on GOP, Fauci-hating uh, person. And I, I couldn't believe the intensity with which they believed everything that they were being sped, fed by the Fox News info world. I mean, it's just insane. The, the stories that they're putting out about Dr. Fauci are just ridiculous about his emails. Have you been following this at all? No, we live in a completely, we, but we live in a completely different universe. They've got hours and hours on Fox News every night about how Dr. Fauci created the coronavirus and is responsible for all these deaths. And just, and it's you know, backed up by these emails that they got through a FOIA request. So it seems to a lot of people like it's valid and Fauci's a hero on so many levels, 
And it's not his fault that the, that the virus leaks out of a lab potentially. And yet people are believing it to such an extent that that division is really hard. And if you try to challenge them, they say they, you're making it seem like they're stupid or dumb or they're not, they're not as up to speed as the liberal media or the liberals in the country. So it's a real sense, I got, for the first time, yeah, I really I got mean, a sense of how difficult this divide really is, of how these echo true. chambers are, are a real challenge to us. They are yeah, I mean, and the, the question I have is, so what? If it was actually out of a lab or if it was from a bat in a food market, why does that interfere with taking, having a vaccine, which will actually yeah. help all of us, you take flu shots, you, we got polio shots, like, like measles was eradicated through vaccines. So what actually is the connection? I don't get it. I don't get it either, but I do think that they're just up trying to create a world of opposition yeah. in this country. They're just trying to make us really hate each other. And I struggle so much because I'm trying to think every day, I was like, how can we fix this? How can we absolutely correct this problem that we have? Like, how do we reach out? to those MAGA people and, and find some form of common ground because it is so important to how America gets ahead. And I really, and I don't know how too many ways. I mean, you know, there's no way to invade their information universe. They don't trust the liberal media. We don't know, we can't travel. We can travel there, I guess. We can all go on a road show or something. But how do we, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Or how would we absolutely, how can we get to, to crack the divide and get to the other side and see if we can come to a common ground about the stuff we believe in? I think we just have to wait for Dominion to sue Fox News into oblivion. <laughs> Dominion, Dominion is going to own half it, the I country mean, when this is all over. Because I, and I'm, yes. I'm half joking, but like when we take no. their fucking money, it's like any mafia thing. We have yes. to go after their money. Right. Fox News needs to be fined somehow for spreading bad information about the vaccine, which caused people to die. That's a horrible thing. I don't understand why that's protected under the First Amendment. Because it's fucking, I'm not a lawyer, but how is that any different from shouting fire where there's no fire? Like, it's not legal to do that. So when Tucker Carlson goes on TV and says this shit, that's, he got to be sued. He must be sued. And I don't know what party can sue him. I don't know if it's the federal government. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Somebody watching this is a lawyer. Maybe we'll figure it out. Yeah. But Fox News has a lot of money. They're making a lot of money. And that money needs to be taken away from them if they continue to do this or just taken away from them because they've done it to, to date. And when that happens, then we've won. Then the models will happen. This has happened in the country before, okay, where you have media outlets that spread fake news. It happened in the early, early 1900s or the very the end of the, the 1890s in the lead up to the Spanish-American War, where you had the two newspapers in New York City, especially, which were owned by Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst, trying to outdo each other with headlines and lurid bullshit. And William Randolph Hearst basically made the Spanish-American War happen because he thought that it would sell newspapers. And eventually, people figured this out and they got sick of it. So the newspaper that, that came to prominence at that time by not doing that, by saying, we are going to print all the news that's fit to print, not what they don't say is, not the shit that isn't. Right. And that was the New York Times. And that's why the New York Times is considered the paper of record for the last 120 years. Now, nice. the New York Times, some of that editorial staff needs to go for sure. Yeah. But that this happened before in the country. And I, I understand that TV is obviously much, you yeah. know, much more pervasive than print journalism, but it's the same thing. The market will bear out, man.
So what did they do? They, that was just a, a competitive play. They, they stood there, a competitive play with just yeah. the news. That was, there's, so you mentioned before, I think, in the Civil War that there was uh, Lincoln also banned a bunch of newspapers. Is that right? You told me this on, on the show he before. Banned, he banned habeas corpus. He did, he did things that were bad. He put, because they he were put in a war. editors in jail. Yeah. But yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know the details, but he did. How, I forget which he, paper what. On what grounds did he put? I, that would be so interesting to figure out how he put... Uh, of these news editors in jail, just fantasizing a little bit about seeing Tucker Carlson behind bars would be quite a thing. Um, I, mean, yeah. I don't know that we want to go <laughs> that dream. way. But, you know, when, when, when Speaking of dreams. Like that, I think yeah. you do have, the president has some sort of some more authority than, right. than Biden would have, but Tucker needs to be sued. Somebody needs to sue yeah. these people in a real meaningful way for a fuck ton of like billions of dollars. They I mean, I'm so sued. glad you brought up Dominion because I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. And I actually have wondered why nobody else is tackling things through the courts in that way. I mean, I actually grew up with this belief that we in America had something called truth in advertising. I mean, you probably know more about this Greg, than I do, but how could it be that we grew up in this world where it was supposed to be truth in advertising or there were consequences and it was regulated, but truth in news is not a thing <laughs> like i don't yeah, understand it, that yeah it's um, not it's amazing it's amazing that we live in that world it's it's shocking hey greg let's explain to people why we have zombies on the screen here because i, I grabbed this off your <laughs> off your site and uh i noticed that and i don't I, want people I, to think that we actually think the zombies are coming although there are news operations that think that the zombies are the coming. zombies are here, so. they're, here. <laughs> they're right here you're looking at them so explain to people the zombie uh the zombie analogy which came from your podcast but is, is really terrific yeah, th this was one of the things that I wanted to do on my podcast was talk to you and, and other people that we've known. And the analogy that I drew at the beginning of, of the interview that we did and also that I then rewrote slightly better for today's piece is that the last four years, whatever, on Twitter especially, is like it's like Night of the Living Dead, where in Night of the Living Dead, they're in the cemetery and then the zombies come and they go to the house and they barricade themselves in the house. And during the course of the movie, other humans come to the house and they have to kind of figure out, okay, who are these humans that are coming here? Are they zombies in disguise? Like, what's the deal with them? Are they going to help us repulse the zombies or are they going to hinder us in our fight to repulse the zombies? But all anyone's worrying about is repulsing the zombies. Nobody's ever like, hey, okay, you know what? We're done with that for a minute. Let's just sit down and tell me there's about no your life. There's no character yeah, development. There's no character development. There's just so let's I fight the be zombies. Like, we're tired of fighting zombies, <laughs> these Trump zombies. Let's sit down now and, and talk and learn more about e each other and about you specifically, Zev Shalev, man of mystery. So <laughs> anyway, that that graphic down there is a scene from Night of the Living Dead where I have photoshopped MAGA hats on their heads. <laughs> And and it's, that's Badly, interesting because the zombies in, in in your metaphor is actually the people on Twitter that are fighting. This. Oh no, they're fighting the zombies. You're right. Sorry, I forgot about that. Forget I just said that. So we're the zombie fighters instead of being the res whatever you wanted to call us. Some people call them the resistance. Some people call them a crowdsourced effort on Twitter. Other people call them open source researchers. You can also call them zombie fighters. It's all the we same kind of thing. The zombies. That's what we're, we do. I prefer the word repulse. I like that. Zombie repulsors. <laughs> <laughs> That's there. good. So here's a couple go. of zombies. I'm going to play you a clip from uh, Matt Gates and Tucker Carlson. We've played this before. And the reason I'm playing this is because there's some news related to Matt Gates, which just broke yeah. in the last hour. I only know what I've read in the New York Times. Uh, I can say that actually you and I went to dinner uh, about two years ago. Your wife was there and I brought a friend of mine. You'll remember her. 
I, I don't remember the woman you're speaking of or the context at all, honestly, but... I only know what I've read in the New York Times. Uh, I can say that actually you and I went to dinner. Sorry about that double repeat there, but <laughs> did we ever find out who went to dinner? I think there was an, a, a follow-up and wasn't quite sure. People weren't really sure if it was his wife that was for their, for their uh, dinner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb. I wish there was, <laughs> is there a market where I can bet that it was not his wife? Because not I his would wife. like to bet a lot of money. I would like to, I would like to know whether they were above 18. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, because he's not married mm. to see, yeah. Uh, for sure, it doesn't seem right. like it's his wife. And the backpedal from Tucker is amazing. So now the news tonight is that, oh, it's kind of complicated. So I'm going to try to go through it as quickly as I can. But basically, there was a candidate in one of these elections in, the, in, in one of these districts in Florida that was running as a third candidate in, a, in one of the districts, one of the counties there. And they were being paid $45,000 to run as that third party candidate to split the vote on the on of the liberal side, so on the Democrat side. And that $45,000 was paid for by a Republican candidate for another district and funded by a lobbyist. So he has been fighting very hard to keep both of those, I think, well, which one has it? I think the candidate that was put up the second candidate has been fighting very hard to suppress all the all the details of who this person called and any other personal details that might come up through the investigation. And the suspicion seems to be that Matt Gates could be one of those people, that Matt Gates or even some other power brokers in Central Florida might be one of these people. And it may not be the only time that they did this, where they set up a, a third candidate in a... Um, in one of these races to try and split the left vote. So this is what I think is the real story that's coming down the pike here with Central Florida and the whole Matt Gates investigation. While the sex stuff is really titillating and awful on many on every level, you know, it certainly grabs headlines and clicks a lot more than others. The, the events of Central Florida around the voting, especially in 2020, is I think what's going to be central to, to this scandal as it breaks out. And I know, uh, Alison, you've done a lot of work on, on very different ways every state handles electioneering. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening in Florida? Well, first of all, I mean, by third candidate, we're talking about like a fake candidate. Yeah, right? like a fake candidate. Yes. <laughs> Which sometimes they don't know, even run. They just they don't they don't do any campaigning. They just register and they hope to split away. But one or two percent can be so much. One or two percent can, yeah. can change the vote. And then they send out mailings that support that that candidate. So there's targeted mailing lists that go out to a liberal leaning audience that says, Vote for this guy because he's gonna bring you all these things. And he's not even running officially, you know, not really running. Yeah. I mean I First of all, what I will say is that I think that there's a bag of tricks. There's not just one way that they are actually looking to sway the elections to make sure that they win. Because, I mean, really, let's face it, the GOP spends tons more energy on figuring out all of the ways to make sure that they could win the elections without actually presenting anything like policy or any reasons for somebody voting for them. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot going on there. And I don't think that this was the only bag of tricks. And I think that the reality is that they're trying very, very hard to ensure that the states continue to have control of their own elections and this is like one of those reasons why is that they can just make sure that nobody can interfere with these types of tricks that they're playing. I mean, they want DeSantis to be in charge 
of the Florida elections and they don't want anybody else to be involved. And I think that's absolutely that's right. Scary. And I think that's happening in so many of these states. And I think it's why it's so critical uh, that we are, you know, really stand up to these changes. I want to get into your Mitch McConnell stuff. I'm going to do it on the other side of a break, although I don't think I've got the right tape here. So I'm actually going to ask you to go into Mitch McConnell right away. And then no I'm going problem. to try, I'm desperately trying to find this thing and it's not finding itself, or I'm not finding it. And so tell me a little bit about your investigation into Mitch McConnell. I know on November last year, what was it? When was the election night, November 3rd last year? November 3rd. I was, something felt so weird about the numbers. It did. It felt so weird to me that there was 75 million, or oh God, was it 75 million from Trump? I think it was, it was just this huge amount of people. 74.2 or something. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't believe that there were so many more people that showed up for this guy. I mean, he was so unpopular that then more people showed up for him. I mean, sure, some, but not as much as came out. And then you look to the state by states and suddenly like Lindsey Graham is reelected and, and then McConnell is reelected. And it's not that you expected McConnell not to win. Like it's sure it was possible that he was going to win, but it was just felt like he was, uh, the momentum of the night didn't reflect in the results. And I know you felt the same way, Alison. So you started digging into what was going on in Kentucky. Well, and absolutely. I felt exactly the same way. I actually, I think of election night as a little bit of torture. I think of it like stopping to watch a horrific accident kind of, I don't have any control of anything. Right. So watching all of these like results with Florida come in, I actually literally turned off the TV and I said to myself, I know what's going to happen early on. It's going to be a long night. Let me just turn off the TV. I turn it back on at like 9.30 and the Senate races were like done. They were called. Right. It was like, and it was the first one that struck me was Lindsey Graham for sure. But Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, like Texas, there was talk maybe of purple Texas and stuff. Right. And John Cornyn cleaned up, Susan Collins. It was like, I, I missed it. It was done. And so I literally sat down and started to, I, I didn't know what I could do. And I think I was trying to distract myself from the presidential, which we weren't going to hear for a while. Mm. And I just went to my, my focus. I just opened up some spreadsheets and I was like, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> and I started like gathering data and dumping data into spreadsheets. And, and what you found is really remarkable. It really is. So on the other side of this, we're going to talk about okay. all those things that you found and how Mitch McConnell maybe shouldn't have won his uh, election <laughs> in Kentucky. And we'll be right back. Now that summer is almost here and COVID is almost gone, this may be a good time to get some things off your to-do list like maybe getting life insurance. You know, my mom is really good with finances and she's always telling me, what about life insurance? It's so important. And I can tell you that Policy Genius is a great place to get life insurance because you can compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you can save as much as 50% or more of life insurance by comparing those quotes. And you could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare those policies for you. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. This is how it works. Getting started is really easy. First, you head to policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. 
When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and scheduling for you. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and that means you don't have to worry about your privacy and they don't add extra fees. Policy Genius, head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. And speaking of getting it right, 